We're continuing in our series, Dinner in a Hostile World, where we've gotten to listen in on Jesus and the conversation that he is having with the disciples at the Last Supper. Last week, we talked, and it was largely about love. Jesus commanding the disciples to love one another. Jesus describing to us how he is the vine and we need to be in him through his love for us. And today we take a pretty quick turn to more of the hostile section of the dinner in the hostile world to talk about persecution. And in your Bible, there's probably a heading over the section of scripture that we're going to look at today that says the world hates disciples. Now, thankfully, here at Christ Community Church, we are not just connected to our church that meets on four campuses. Hello to all the campuses, by the way, Bartlett, DeKalb, Blackberry, thanks for being here with us as well. We're not just connected to one another, but we're connected to the church at large, the church around the world. And that happens through our teaching, that happens largely through our interaction with our partners and our involvement with them. And earlier today, we watched a very moving, powerful video about what's happening with our partners in Bangladesh. And as we think about persecution, we can't help but think about our brothers and sisters there. If you remember the section of the video where the people were sitting in circles on that grassy field, remember that part? Well, that was a gathering of church planting leaders. And in order to even be at that gathering, each of those folks that was seated in those circles personally had to have planted over 125 churches. Now, over there, I'm told that they don't even really count somebody as having converted to Christ until they've been baptized, where it's dangerous to even be baptized. And around here, you know, from time to time, I'll hear, oh, I'm nervous about getting up on stage in front of so many people, right? Or we don't want people to see us with our hair all wet when we get out of the water. I can help you with that one, by the way. I've got a really <laughs> easy solution to that. But at that gathering and at gatherings like that, they will often ask the question, how many of you personally have been physically beaten for your faith? And 75 to 80% of the hands will go up. And things happen like these mobs of 25 to 50 people that might chase and drive somebody out of their village if they put their faith in Jesus. Uh, they're often not able to get jobs. Most of the people there are day laborers. They get jobs as fishermen or working on farms or making bricks. And once it's found out that they've become a Christian, they no longer get hired for things like that. And so we want to be familiar with what's happening there. You know, Mark Munchie, the, the leader of that ministry that we partner with over there, he personally has been beaten for his faith. And so as we're thinking about persecution, that's what we have in our minds. And we want to be aware of what's going on there. And we want to be connected to our brothers and sisters. And we're going to talk more about that. But for our purposes today, we also need to think about persecution in its forms here for us. I don't want us to only think about persecution as something that happens over there to them. We need to be aware of what persecution looks like right here at home. 
one of the things that I did to get ready for this message today is I read a book called Prepare that was written by the president of Moody Bible Institute downtown. And the subtitle of that book is Living Your Faith in an Increasingly Hostile Culture. And in the book, he describes the changes that we've seen in the States in recent years and what that means for Christianity and biblical truth and for us as followers of Jesus. And there's a couple quotes in there that I thought would be helpful for us today as we frame this conversation of persecution, not just overseas, but also here in the States. And he says this, Because of our relative inexperience, we Americans tend to have a limited view of persecution. We typically think of it in physical terms, imprisonment, martyrdom, and as such may question whether our experience truly qualifies as persecution. But this definition is too narrow. The biblical term suggests a broader view, including aggression, oppression, and violence affecting the body, mind, and emotions. So oftentimes, if we think of persecution, and we only think of it as people that risk beatings or getting thrown in prison or being killed for their faith, he's saying that's not really capturing all of what the Bible means when it talks about persecution. It's a wider term. And while I'm assuming none of us in here have been physically beaten for our faith, and I feel the irony of that this morning as I'm standing up here talking to you about persecution, but not really running the risk of that type of persecution. As far as I know, I don't know what most of you have planned for me after the service. We need to think, what is the biblical definition and how do we see that playing out here in the States? And a second quote that encapsulizes it. He says, simply put, persecution is the societal marginalization of believers with a view to eliminating their voice and influence. And if we think about it that way, that changes the conversation. Right? If I walk up to the average Christian, the average person at one of our campuses, and say, have you ever been persecuted for your faith? The first thought that's going to come through your mind probably is, well, no, I really haven't. But if we define persecution as the societal marginalization of believers with a view to eliminating your voice and your influence, we see that happening all over the place. And so today we're going to look at three R's. I've given you three R's, not the three R's that you heard about in school when you were growing up. Three different R's. The reality, the reason, and the response. And here's the reality. The world hates you. That's the reality. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, the world hates you. Go ahead. All right, that was, that's good enough. You don't have to go through the list of reasons why. Just a simple, just a simple, you wouldn't do it and then you wouldn't stop doing it. Man, the world hates you. Let's go back to our text, John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. 
As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Jesus wants his disciples, not just the ones he was having that meal with, but all of us today to understand the reality of the situation. Because you can't appropriately deal with circumstances or a situation if you're not really clued into the reality of that moment. And so he wants us to be very clear. The reality of this moment is the world hates disciples. The world hates followers of Jesus. And today as we think about this in terms of our brothers and sisters around the world that deal with a very different type of persecution than we do, we want to be reminded of them. We want to identify with them because there are hundreds of millions of Christians right now, every day, that live with the very real threat of imprisonment and torture for their faith. And there are many, many, many more that live in places where laws are set up to threaten them, where laws are set up to marginalize them and treat them as outcasts. So how do we support them? How do we, sitting in our very nice, comfortable auditoriums at Christ Community Church, how do we support them? Well, one is we need to be educated about what's happening. We need to know what's going on with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then I would just simply encourage you to take advantage of the strategy that is in place through our international impact ministry, which is quite simply pray, give, go. Three words that all of us can remember very easily. Three things that all of us can participate in. Pray, give, go. Find out what's happening, educate yourself, pray about it, give to support the ministry, give to support people that you know that are going, and then every few years, take some time and go on a trip. And if you've never done that, if you've never done either of those steps, I'd encourage you just kind of figure out what's next for you and get involved. And it's not just a necessarily a one-time thing. Oh, yeah, I did that already. Well, okay, then what's next? Maybe it's a second one. A couple resources that I want to give your attention to. One is just our very own ministry. And so if you go to our church website and go to the International Impact section, you can learn all about our partners and what's happening there. You can find out about who's going where, when, trips that you can support through prayer, through giving, through going yourself, and keep connected to that. Keep finding out, you know, in our atriums, talk to people and say, hey, what's happening with international impact these days? Educate yourself so that you can pray. And then more of a worldwide organization, you've heard Pastor Jim mention it numerous times, Voice of the Martyrs, their website is persecution.com. You can go there, you can sign up, they'll send you a newsletter. They have regional conferences that you can attend, you know, and you can see on their homepage right now is this article about how prayer is a crime. And it talks about three people that were put in prison because they prayed for somebody who was sick. That girl did not get better. She died, and so they were arrested and put in prison. And so <clears throat> keep connected with that ministry and what's happening. Hebrews 13.3 is uh, sort of the theme verse for Voice of the Martyrs. It says, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison 
and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, I have to be very honest and say I do not do that nearly as much as I need to. Even as a dad, I know as I've been thinking about today in this message, I've been convicted about the fact that, man, I do not keep this in front of my kids and my family nearly as much as I need to. And so maybe that's one of your takeaways for today is what does this look like in your home as an influencer of your children? Continue to remember those in prison as if you were there. Those who are mistreated as if you were suffering. But again, it's not just what's happening over there, right? It's happening here. And if you think about Paul Nyquist's definition of persecution as societal marginalization of your voice, of your opinion, of your influence, you don't have to think very hard to think of examples of where that's happening of where biblical truth and biblical authority no longer has nearly the platform that it used to, right? It used to be that our culture was a culture, even if people were not personally followers of Jesus, where the morals and ethics that were outlined in Scripture were kind of the norm for the day. Well, that day is long, long over. And there are times where in the public square, simply if you are identified as a Christian, whether the topic being discussed has implicit faith implications or not, if you come to the table as a follower of Jesus, you are marginalized. Your opinion is discounted. We see it very easily in society. And then we see it personally, right? If there has ever been a time where you were passed over for a job or for a promotion because of ethics that you had that you would not fudge on, has there ever been a time where uh, you were excluded from a gathering, a group of people getting together just to hang out socially? because it was known there are things that you would not condone, there are things you would not participate in? Has a friend ever turned on you because you chose to stand up for someone or something and they didn't appreciate it? We see examples of this time and time again, simply because the world hates you. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you are a follower of his, the world hates you. I was discussing this with somebody just the other day. As we look at things that are happening and the conversation that's happening in our society today, and there is such an emphasis toward tolerance. And don't get me wrong, there are some very healthy, very right, very good things about people being more tolerant. But sometimes it can go too far to the point where it's past tolerance and you can't take a stand on anything because you have to agree with everybody. And certainly you can't take a biblical stand. And so be very assured that Jesus 
knows what he's talking about when he says the world hates you. Why does the world hate you? Hate you? What's the reason? The reason is because Jesus chose you. That's the reason that the world hates you. Let's go back to John, the second half of verse 19 of chapter 15. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And so you have to kind of read underneath the statement there, right? Jesus is saying, if they persecuted me, which they did, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, which they didn't, then they would obey yours. Verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. This is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. See, Jesus comes and he confronts sin. Jesus comes and he confronts evil. And just as persecution happens on a societal level and on a personal level, Jesus confronts evil and sin and wickedness on a societal level and on a personal level. And the world does not like that. Jesus reminds people of how it can be, of how it should be. And some people don't want to hear that. Now, he does it in a loving, gracious, compassionate way. He challenges people, but he does it appropriately. But as he does that, it bothers people that do not bow their knee in submission to him. And it causes them to hate him and hate his followers. The world is in rebellion against God. We have a king, Jesus, who should be Lord. And the world is in rebellion against him. And when they are in rebellion against the king, they are automatically against anybody who is on the side of the king. I saw this played out in a movie I watched recently. Uh, you know, as a pastor, I watch movies that have a lot of deep spiritual undertones. And I was watching Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> and I'm not going to give it away for you. Because if you're like me, you always wait till movies are free at the library before you watch them. But for those of you that are familiar with the Planet of the Apes genre, there is kind of the lead ape named Caesar. And in this movie, there is an uprising against him. One of his buddies decides he wants to be the lead ape. And as he takes over, anybody that was close to or extremely loyal to Caesar automatically is seen as a threat 
and is seen as an enemy. And we see that storyline in book after book and movie after movie. And the reason that we see that is because there is a truth to it. The truth is, when there is a rebellion, when there is an uprising, anybody who is on the side of the king, the side of the person that is being revolted against is seen as an enemy. The world hates you because it is in rebellion against Jesus and Jesus chose you to be with him. And if you have responded with a yes, I will follow you, the world hates you. Jesus choosing you runs deeper than the ties of family. Jesus choosing you runs deeper than the ties of your longest friend. And so don't be surprised if as you begin perhaps a new relationship with Christ, if that causes issues that did not previously exist with groups of people that have known you best and known you longest and cared about you most. The world hates disciples and followers of Jesus. Verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus is saying here, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit the advocate. And when the spirit comes, he is going to testify about me and you must testify about me also. And that is the response that we need to have to testify with the spirit sent to you. The reality of our situation is that the world hates us. The reason is because Jesus chose us. And our response is that we testify, we give evidence to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done through and with the Holy Spirit that has been sent to us. One of our brothers in Christ from Bangladesh, uh, I will call him Abdul, grew up with a very high propensity to education and learning. And so he was encouraged to become an imam, a Muslim pastor. And he did that. And he did it very well. So much so that he eventually became what's called a peer, like a guru. And he had influence over about 20,000 Muslims. But in that, he still was not quite fulfilled with his knowledge of God. And he wanted something more, and it caused him to search, and it caused him to ask questions. And he heard about a man in another village that was describing to people how they could have a personal relationship with God. And Abdul recognized that that was something that he did not have. It was something that he was curious about. And so he went and traveled to this village. And when he got there, he found this man being beaten by a crowd of people ruthlessly 
And the man could not escape because they had tied him to a tree before they began to beat him. And so Abdul stayed and stood there and waited until the beating was done and the crowd left. And he approached the man. And he asked him, what is it that you believe that is causing people to beat you like this? And that Christian man, still tied to the tree, still bleeding, told Abdul about the reality of having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this made Abdul think. And he left, left the man tied to the tree. He wasn't a Christian yet. And he went away and he came back a few weeks later and found that man again, and that man helped Abdul begin a relationship with Jesus, and his life was changed. He stayed as an imam, leading a mosque for a little while until the people there realized, ah, something seems different. And they realized he had become a Christian and has put his faith in Jesus. And so a crowd of a few hundred people dragged Abdul and started beating him, pulling out chunks of beard from his face, physically assaulting him. And they're yelling at him. And in the midst of this, during this beating, he stands up, he lifts up his hands and begins to pray for them. And this was very curious to the people that were beating him. And so they said, what are you doing? And he told them that he was praying for them. And they became silent. And one by one, they started to walk away. And they left him there. And today, Abdul is one of those church planters that we talk about that has personally led hundreds of individuals to Jesus Christ, some of whom were the people that were the ones beating him that day. And through those people that he's led to Christ, hundreds of churches have been started because he was willing to testify with the spirit that had been sent to him. See, when we face persecution, when we face hatred, when we face hostility from the world in whatever form it takes... Our response is not to turn our back on the world. Our response is not to just cluster in together as believers and ignore the world. Our response is to face that arms wide open with love, understanding that we are testifying to who Jesus is. Earlier in uh, John chapter 15, we read where Jesus says, they hated both me and my father, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. See, God knew that this situation was going to come about long before it ever did, and it's written about in the Old Testament. And it's written not just to fulfill the law, but it's written to fulfill God's purpose. And so what's amazing about persecution is that people who are doing the persecuting are doing it because they hate God. They hate his followers. 
they might not express it that way. You might be sitting here today and you might not be a follower of Jesus and you might be thinking, Randy, I don't hate you. You seem like a decent guy. I'd hang out with you. But the Bible is clear and says time and time again, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, you are an enemy of God. And what is amazing is that persecution while it's done with the intent of being against God, always goes to serve the purposes of God. Abdul has started hundreds of churches because he was willing to be beaten for his faith, and now those same people that were beating him, many of, him, many of them are following Jesus as Lord. And so our response needs to be one of love, needs to be one of perseverance, so that God's purposes can be fulfilled in us. It's important that the world hates us not because of who we are or our response. Right? It's okay if the world hates us because of Jesus and because of the message of Jesus and because of what Jesus brings to the surface and the things that Jesus confronts and because we are in line with those things and we bring that message to people. If that is the reason that we are hated, that is fine. If the reason that we're hated is because of our attitude as we're bringing that message, if the reason that we're hated is because of our arrogance as we bring that message, that is a problem, and that is not okay. And so if you are um, having difficulty relationally with people, I would encourage you just really examine why that is. And if it is because of the message of Jesus, fine. If it is because of something in the way you are carrying yourself and giving that message of Jesus, not fine. Why did Jesus tell us all this? Why did Jesus take a moment and stop? And he's in this intimate moment with his disciples to pass on this message. Why is this in scripture for us today? It's not to arouse fear in us. It's not to make us be against the world. In John chapter 16, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, All of this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Jesus says, I've told you all this so that you will not fall away. I titled the message today, Stand Strong, because of that very line, so that you will not fall away. The greatest danger and the worst consequence to persecution 
is not the effects of the persecution on us physically, on us emotionally. The greatest danger is falling away from Jesus. The greatest danger is when we value what is being persecuted, our persons, our body, our voice, our influence, when we value that more than we value the Savior for whom we are being persecuted. That is the greatest danger. You ever been in uh, like an airport and you're going and they get in this little shuttle and you got your bags and you load up and then just before it takes off, there's this little recorded voice that comes on and it says, the train is moving. Right? It gives you that kind of alert to let you know that the train is moving so that you're not startled, so that you don't fall. That's kind of a little bit of this. Jesus is saying, hey, the world, the culture, it's moving. Be prepared for what's coming. It's really important to realize and to remember what came just before this. Before Jesus goes into the section about how the world hates us, he has just been talking with the disciples about how they need to love one another. All right, let's look earlier in John chapter 15. Back in verse 12 and 13, Jesus is commanding them to love each other. But picking it up in verse 16, Jesus says, You didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, in your Bibles, a lot of you might have a, a caption in between verses 17 and 18 that says, the world hates disciples. And I just would remind you that, you know, when the Bible was first put together, the chapters, the verses, those captions, they weren't there. Those are not inspired of God. Those were put in later by editors, and they're incredibly helpful because they help us navigate this mammoth book. But when Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, the one flows right into the other. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. One of the reasons that we're able to stand strong is because we love one another. So if I'm getting into the shuttle and I've got my luggage and I hear the voice come over and it says, the train is moving, please hold on. And I say, hey, everybody, the train is moving. But don't worry. Let's lock arms. We can stand together. We can make it. We will not fall. I'm going to get maced. TSA is going to be waiting for me when I get off the train because it's a drastic overreaction to the situation. But what I would tell all of you today, when we think about our world, when we think about what's happening as it relates to persecution, is that the train is moving. 
and we need to lock arms and we need to hold on to one another. And if we do, we will make it. We can stand strong, but only as we lock arms. Our brothers and sisters in Bangladesh can do that only as they are supported by one another, only as we support them. It's amazing how much just your physical presence can be a blessing to them. If you've ever been concerned about going on a go team because you're thinking, I, don't know, I hear about the trips and I hear what they're going to do and I don't have those skills and I don't have those gifts and that's not me. Maybe something you've never thought of, something I didn't realize until I had gone on a couple trips is how just being there is an incredible encouragement to them. It's not really about the gifts and talents that you bring. If you have some to bring, great. But if not, you would be amazed at just how your presence encourages and ministers to them. I was talking about it just before the service with Eric Hansen. And we were talking about how you know, a lot of times we talk about that idea of a ministry of presence as it relates to things like um, you, you have a close friend or a family member who's just gone through this great loss and they're grieving. And you don't know what to say. And we always encourage people, don't worry about it. You don't have to say anything. Just be there, right? And we think about how our presence can serve people and minister to people in those contexts. It's similar. When you get on a plane and you go and see your brothers and sisters in another part of the world, that is huge for them. And it's a way for you to go and to lock arms with them and say, I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to support you in this. We're going to worship God together with our giving right now. And so I'm going to ask the worship teams at all of our campuses to come back to the stage. And this is another way that we lock arms with people that are in the face of persecution. You know, as we give, it goes to support ministries Locally, it goes to support ministries internationally. And I would just really encourage you, especially if you consider Christ Community your church home, to get involved in regular giving. I will never forget, a few years ago, I was in Sierra Leone, and we were going to visit people and uh, see where they live and see the house churches that they had and talk with them. And it is a very powerful experience. We've driven as far as we can in a car and we have to get out and we have to walk and you're walking through these trees and then you come to the area where the village is and there's people there and they're excited to see you and they're greeting you and you're greeting them. And then over in one part of the village, there's a well and there's a sign on it 
And that sign says that Christ Community Church, Illinois, United States of America, helped us get this well. It's like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. We can be a part of that. We can contribute to things like that. It's an opportunity that we provide. And I don't say that to guilt you. You know, if you give or not, that's between you and God. But just know that as you do, that is some of what happens as we are obedient and faithful to do what God's called us to do. Let me pray for us before we give. God, we thank you for the blessings that you have given to us and the ways that you provide for us. And I'm thankful that we are a part of a church that looks outward at people in the communities right around our campuses, at people in communities all across the world, and that we want to be a part of what you are doing. And you allow us the privilege of partnering with people through prayer, through giving, through going and visiting and serving them. And we're thankful for that. And so I pray for each of us here today that we would hear from you how you are calling us to be a part of this ministry of giving, of going, of praying, and that we would obey you in that. In Jesus' name, amen.